the 16th chapter. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we, that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? But they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading this evening and also our sermon text is from Ephesians in the fourth chapter. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading this evening is from John's gospel in the sixth chapter. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had, only, or there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the gospel of our Lord. Maybe seated. And I invite you to join together with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. As you gather us together around your word, as you call us together in one body under the head of your Son, Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us this evening, that you would guide our hearts and ears to hear your word, that you would remove distractions from us. And we pray, Lord, that you always point us and to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unity, I think, is something that, uh, oh, we didn't change that sign. No, go back to that one. It's fine. I'm just realizing that we hadn't changed the sermon slide for tonight. You're on the right one. I just changed it for the morning and forgot about this evening. Unity, not a pastor's prayer. That was last week. Unity is what we're going to be thinking on as we heard that epistle reading from Ephesians. And unity, I think, is something that we strive for quite often, but oftentimes we have a hard time defining what unity is. I mean, does unity mean that we all root for the same sports team? If so, I bet as I look around, we probably have disunity, just depending upon where you've come from. Or is it maybe grounded in something like a political standing or a 
I don't know, an opinion on music or whatever the case may be, but we tend to look at unity in maybe a way that takes away the opportunity for diversity. So as we think of unity, I want you to think of the things that have unified you over time. I mean, just think of our country, right? The United States of America. There's supposed to be unity around something. Well, when it got founded, there was unity. There was unity as folks gathered together, right, to uh, fight representation or taxation without representation, and they wanted to have independence so that they had a voice and could do things on their own and be a unified people in a new land. Think of times in your lives where you've seen the most unity. It's kind of hard to think on. As I look back on major events in my time frame of things, I look back towards 9-11. There seemed to be a sense of unity in the country because there was something that we could all get unified around. Something had attacked our land and our people, and all of a sudden, no matter where anybody was coming from, there was a unity of purpose and a unity of mourning and a unity amongst the people. Go back a little bit further. I'm sure when Pearl Harbor was attacked, it was a similar sense. There was a unity of the people. So when we start thinking of unity, oftentimes there's something kind of outside of us that is going to end up unifying us, right? I mean, go to any family dinner, any family holiday dinner, right? And at some point, there's a lot of unity. Everybody's there for the same purpose, and they enjoy the evening. And then somebody will either bring up something political or something religious, which, by the way, they should have those conversations in family. We just have a hard time figuring out how to respectfully and lovingly have those conversations. But something will come up, and all of a sudden, there's a little bit of disunity. I mean... It could even be over the gravy. It really doesn't matter. Somebody's going to say how to make it one way, and somebody else is going to say, no, you need to make it another way. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of breaks apart a little bit, and no one's on the same page anymore. But see, that's not necessarily unity. It's looking for uniformity. See, we shouldn't really look for uniformity, because uniformity means everybody would be exactly the same in every single way. Everybody would think the same, everybody would believe the same, everybody would be paid the same, everybody would work the same, everybody would have equal standing in society. That then would be uniformity, not unity. See, we don't really need to look for uniformity. If we were looking for uniformity in the church, then both our church campuses should look exactly the same in how things run and how they go and and what happens on a Sunday morning. But they don't. See, because there's a beautiful beauty, it's odd to use those two words next to each other, but there's a beautiful beauty in diversity while still maintaining unity. But I want to assure you something. As we talk about all this unity, you are absolutely unified in something. You are. You're absolutely unified in sin. And you're corrupted, sinful state, you are absolutely unified in how you would go your own way if you had your own way to go and not listen to the way in which God would direct you. But if you had it your way, you would want to fulfill every one of your desires. That's called our corrupted, sinful nature. The big fancy word for that is concupiscence. The wanting to go and do what you desire to do, no matter the cost of what else is going on. Even if you know the right thing to do, 
you go and do what you want to do. All of humanity is united in this, and that we have been born under the corruption of sin. We have been born under that unified corruption. And we express it in a lot of different ways. There's even diversity in that unity. The sins that prop up most in my life are going to be different than the ones in yours or yours or yours. They are different sins that come up. They are going to be highlighted in different ways. We will struggle in different ways in how we fulfill our own desires. But see, it's in that fulfilling of desires and in that sinful unity that I think Satan smiles even a little bit more. Because he's going to look at you and say, no, you've got this. Yeah, you're right. You shouldn't be doing that. So you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You dig deep within and you figure out how to not do that anymore. And as soon as we start to figure out how to not do that one thing, something else crops up and we say, man, I did this other thing over here. But all the while with our eyes taken off of Christ. There's something else you're unified in. And this is where Paul was speaking to the Ephesians. As he wrote to the Ephesians and he says, I strive for you, brothers, that you would strive in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Peace. Wholeness. Completeness. That idea and sense of a Hebrew shalom where everything is unified and working together, where all the pieces are present and there and nothing is missing, that there are no individuals necessarily that are going off on their own track, but they're unified together in their diversity to be able to support and take care of one another. That's the beauty of the church. You see, we struggle with that unity even. You're also unified in the grace of God. You have absolute and complete unity, baptized in the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is in all and through all. That grace of God that He has poured out for us in Christ is what unifies us together as a family. As members of God's household, Unified in that sense that he has done everything necessary to take us out of the unified sinful state that we were in and put us into a unified grace-filled state where God has forgiven us through Christ. That we have a unity of forgiveness. That the relationship between us and God has been absolutely fixed in Christ and repaired and redeemed so that we would not have to try and figure out our own way to get to God, but that He has fixed that for us in Jesus, and then sends us out in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, with patience and endurance and bearing with one another in love as we live life together, pointing one another to Jesus, so that when one is weak, another one comes along and is strong and brings them strength. As we walk through all of the praises and low parts and wonderful parts and hard parts, and difficult things of life. As God sends us together into one faith, one confession, one baptism, to give to us His one Son. As He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life also, right? That comes a little later in some of the conversation in John's Gospel where He says He's the bread of life given so that life would be given to God's people. We would be unified. In Him, in His grace. And as a unified family then, what do we do? 
Well, see, that unity of the body of Christ is very interesting. Because as Paul writes, and he's writing to the Ephesians about the body of Christ that's brought together, the body of the church of God that's brought together, the family that's brought together with Christ as the head, he says, for the building up of that body, and that building up term is very interesting, because it can be used for building up houses, and in the way Paul was using it, it's for the building of a body. Well, when you think of the building and the structure of a body, what do you think of? Think of a skeleton. Think of bones. Think of the structure that's given and there. And so Paul says, for the building up and the structure of the body, God has given the apostles and the prophets and the preachers and the teachers and the evangelists and all of those things that would carry God's word into the body of Christ and give it structure. But how many skeletons have you seen walking around all on their own? Not very many. There's more to the body of Christ. God's Word absolutely gives the structure, but then He brings every single part of the body of Christ together through all of your diverse gifts as He calls this family together, through all of the beautiful ways in which God has gifted you to work within the body of Christ. Maybe that's time and presence with somebody. Maybe that's words to share with somebody. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's emotional. Whatever the case may be, all the different ways in which God has called a body together so that that body would not not only have a structure, but also all of the joints and muscles and things that hold it together so that it would be a living body under the head of Jesus. The head that leads it, the head that gives it direction, the head that gives it its sense of being. Because it's through Christ alone that we have any sense of direction. It's through Christ alone that we have any sense of being called together. And it's through Christ alone that we are brought together in that one body. So as you're unified by God's grace into one body of Christ, know that you're unified in the same forgiveness of sins, that through His death and His resurrection, you also hold on to that same death and that same resurrection through that baptism that he had given with the one faith, the one, or the one Lord, the one faith, and the one baptism, has brought you together into that unified grace of God. And that's what he holds on to you in. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have unified us through your Son, Jesus, that you have brought us together and called us by your Holy Spirit to hear your word, to be present and receive your gifts, as you have gathered us together out of all the things that would take us away from you, and you've gathered us together to unify us by your grace and in your mercy. And it's through your Son, Jesus, that you have shown all of that to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would continually guide us in him. And in his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise.